Well, let me also say happy Father's Day this morning. Uh, we are going to talk to fathers about fathers today from the book of Proverbs. Uh, I realize not everybody in the room is a father. That's okay. Uh, my hope is that you'll still uh, gather some uh, useful, productive things from this message. Uh, if you're not a father, please don't leave. Uh, I think if you are a mom, for example, there's a lot of general parenting wisdom uh, as you parent alongside your husband as you raise kiddos. Uh, I think if you're a kid, there's going to be a lot of wisdom, hopefully, that will help you understand what your parents have been called by the Scripture, by the Lord, to do as they raise you. Uh, if you're in neither of those categories, maybe you're a grown adult, uh, you're not married, you don't have kids, you don't live with your parents, my prayer is that this will provide uh, for you some ways to pray, encourage, support the parents, the dads in your life, and also maybe as you look ahead to possibly being a parent one day. This will provide uh, some insight from the Scripture. So we're going to talk about uh, fatherly wisdom today from the book of Proverbs. And if you've read the book of Proverbs, you know it is wisdom written down from one father, Solomon, to his son. So from a father who happened to be king to his son who, who might one day be king. Uh, and I think this is, this is critical as we talk about fatherly wisdom. We want to recognize uh, for those who are fathers, wisdom is something that often fathers uh, want to be known for at least. Uh, we want to be known for our wise sayings, our wise expressions. Maybe even some of your dad jokes are meant to be expressions of dad wisdom. Uh, I would guess a lot of you can think of expressions or phrases that your dads said as you grew up. Uh, this week, I ran across a map of the United States that shows the most popular dadism in every state. They interviewed like, like 1,500 dads and 1,000 wives as well. Uh, and here's, here's what they found. So uh, if you look at Texas, for example, the most popular one is, I'm not sleeping, I'm just resting my eyes. Uh, that is a popular one and has been at my house. Uh, across the country, the most popular one in the most states was, Hi, hungry, I'm dad, which is a personal favorite of mine. The kids say, I'm hungry, hi, hungry, I'm dad. Uh, but you can see a lot of others in here, uh, things that I heard growing up and things that I've said, like money doesn't grow on trees. Were you raised in a barn? Do I look like a bank? Back in my day, followed by some great story about how much harder life was in your day. You walked in the snow uphill both ways to school, uh, like my dad said that he did. Uh, what's the plan? Stan, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you? Uh, one of my favorites uh, over here in New Jersey, we're not lost, we're taking the scenic route. Uh, there were a couple of states that said that uh, Wyoming and Maine, two sort of rugged, outdoorsy states, it builds character. Uh, apparently up in Montana, a lot of kids worry they're going to melt if it gets too hot, and so dads say that. Uh, I don't know which of these resonate with you, which of these you may have said, which of these you heard your dad say, but this is some classic dad wisdom. Wisdom. These are great dad-isms that a lot of us have said. But I want to ask you a question. Uh, beyond these types of sayings, beyond these types of jokes, I want to ask you a question this morning, specifically uh, dads. What wisdom... Are you teaching your kids that they will remember when they're grown or when you are gone? What wisdom, beyond just the, the nice phrases and expressions, beyond the jokes, what wisdom are you teaching your kids that they will remember when they are grown or 
when you are gone. Because one or both of those things is coming relatively quickly. If you've got small kids, they are growing up every day. And one day they will be grown, they will be out of your house, they will move on, uh, or you will be gone, or both. The day will come when you are no longer here. And so what are the things that they are going to remember that you poured into their lives? What wisdom are you teaching your kids that they will remember when they're grown or when you are gone? Or another way to ask this question, how would your kids answer you if you asked them, what is my highest priority as your dad? How would your kids answer if you asked them, what is my highest priority as your dad? Uh, If you think about a target, what is right at the center for you? What is the bullseye? What is the thing you say, this is the one thing, the highest priority for my kids as I lead them, as I raise them, as I train them. If I were to pull your kids aside in the foyer and ask them that question, what is the highest priority for your dad? Now, I'm not going to do that this morning. I know it's Father's Day. We all want to beat the Baptists to lunch. But let's say that there was one day that I pulled them aside and I said, what would you say is at the center for your, for your dad, for your, for your parents as they raise you? What is the highest priority? Or another way to ask the question, what is a wise father's goal? Right? What is a wise father's goal? That's what we're going to look at as we look at Proverbs chapter 1 this morning. As I mentioned, Proverbs 1 is uh, written by one father, Solomon, to his son. And, and right in chapter 1, Solomon says, here's my goal for you, son. Here's what I want you to know and to become. Here's my goal. Here's right at the center. And, and I think his goal for his son, I'm going to lay it out in a minute. Solomon's goal for his son is one that we as parents, frankly, we ought to adopt this goal. His goal should be our goal. Now, What's really interesting about Solomon, of course, is we know Solomon was not a perfect dad. He was definitely not a perfect husband. He was not a perfect man, especially later in his life. He veered off into sexual immorality, into idolatry, into all kinds of sin. But the beautiful thing is when you read Proverbs 1, one of the things that sticks out is you say, if only Solomon had actually followed the advice that he gave to his son, his life could have taken a different trajectory. Because the goal he lays out, the pathway he lays out, is the right one from the Word of God. What is his goal as he trains and raises his child? What is a wise father's goal? I'm going to share with you the goal, and then we'll look at it in more detail from Proverbs chapter 1. A wise father's goal is this, to help immature children become wise adults. To help immature children become wise adults. Adults. Now, I'm going to break that down in some more detail because I know you may have questions about what that means. But before I do, let's read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. If you have a Bible, follow with me. Proverbs 1, starting in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction and wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. So Solomon uh, begins this. He says, here's why I wrote this, right? All the way throughout the first few chapters, by the way, 
he addresses his son. He says, hear, O, o son, your father's instruction. Son, chase after wisdom. Son, I'm giving you this wisdom. What is his goal? He says, I want you to know wisdom. I want you to move from an immature child, a naive youth, to a mature, wise, God-honoring adult. So in order to kind of break this down, this goal down a little bit and understand it a little better, I, I want to remind you of a couple of things that we've talked about from the book of Proverbs up to this point. First of all, you may remember, I said this last week, I think I said it a couple weeks ago. There are three main types of people in the book of Proverbs. One is the wise person. The wise person is who you want to be. We'll see, we'll, we'll define that more specifically in a minute. The wise person, though, in a nutshell, is the person who can take God's truth, biblical truth, and they know how to apply it in the everyday situations of life. So they know, how do I use my money? How do I use my body? How do I use my time? How do I use my relationships in everyday life in a way that is skillful and honoring to God? That's the wise person. That's who everybody wants to be. The goal of the book of Proverbs is to move us toward wisdom. Second type of person in Proverbs is the opposite of the wise person. It's the fool. The fool is obstinate, hard-hearted, makes dumb decisions. The fool in the book of Proverbs usually ends up uh, in poverty, in debt, in conflict with others, maybe in jail, and in fact, often the fool experiences a premature death. Now, it's interesting, you, you have to realize in the book of Proverbs, these are general principles. And the idea is, if you pursue the path of wisdom, your life will go one way. Harmony with God, harmony with others, generally a more successful life. Again, general principles. The foolish way of life is going to result in conflict with God, conflict with others, and all kinds of problems. So you don't want to be the fool. Then you've got the third type of person. That is the youth, or the naive person, or the simple person. Okay, the youth is neither a wise person nor a fool. The youth is the person who hasn't yet decided. Why has he not yet decided or she not yet decided? Because they're young. They're inexperienced. They're immature. The idea is fathers, remember, and mothers too, your children, by definition, are immature. All right, and I'm not saying that to insult the children. If you're a kid in here, just understand all of us begin immature. What does that mean? We begin in, in, this, in this state of being where uh, we're not innocent, we're not sinless, but we don't understand yet the way the world works. We don't yet know the Word of God. We don't yet understand how to walk in wisdom, right? And so the goal of a parent is to move you toward wisdom because kids are inherently immature. Because they're inherently immature, often they do foolish things and they say foolish things. Right? That's what we call childish. I had a friend years ago. His son was maybe nine or ten, and he was acting up, and he was causing all kinds of problems that day and arguing and all kinds of things. And my friend said, I looked at my son, and I said, son, why are you acting so childish? And he said, my son looked at me, and he said, well, I am a child. Right? Fair point. That's the nature of children. That's why Solomon says in the book of Proverbs that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Left to his or her own devices, a child will gravitate toward the foolishness of sin and the foolishness of the world. And so, uh, dads, your goal, a wise father's goal, is to help immature children become wise 
adults. Now, you may be saying, isn't there more to life than just wisdom? Don't I want my kids, for example, to be spiritual, to know Jesus, to walk with God? Yes. And in fact, as we define wisdom in the way that Solomon defines wisdom, it encompasses walking with God. And so I want to talk about that for a minute. If our goal is to move our kids toward wisdom, what is that? So I want to talk for just a minute about what is wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And and I said this just a minute or two ago, but in essence, wisdom is the ability to take biblical truth, to take God's truth, what God has said, to take what God has said and what I know about him. Wisdom is the ability to take that and apply it, to utilize it skillfully to real life situations. So to take what God has said from his word and apply it in my everyday life as I relate with God, as I relate with others, as I relate to myself, right? So when it comes, you know, the Proverbs has all kinds of advice about things like uh, marriage and sexuality and money and, uh, and pride and anger and friendships and all of these things we're gonna talk about. And the idea is in all of these areas of my life, a wise person listens to the word of God and then knows how to apply the word of God in a skillful way in the complicated world that we live in. Biblically, from Proverbs 1, we see that wisdom consists of three things. It consists, first of all, of knowledge. So there is a knowledge component. So if you look at uh, verse 2, it says to, to receive instruction in wise behavior. Uh, to receive, excuse me, verse two, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding. So in other words, there is like a classroom element to wisdom, right? There's knowledge. It is good to fill your mind with the word of God. Uh, There's also a practical skill component. So verse four, to give prudence to the naive. This, This word prudence actually has the idea of like a plan, a course of action. What am I actually gonna do with what I know. It's not enough just to know the word of God. I need to know how to apply it in everyday life. And then thirdly, it includes moral character. Verse three, uh, verse three, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, right? So all three of these, knowledge, skill, and moral character. Think about it this way. Uh, we, you go to the doctor, right? And, and uh, the doctor, you may look at what your family doctor does and you go, you know, I could do that. Right, so he, he hit my knee with a mallet, he listens to my heart, he looks in my ears, he asks me some questions. I could do that, right? Well, I, I can't actually do that. Why? Well, because I may have a, a certain degree of knowledge about what he does, although I don't have all the knowledge he, he has. I've got some knowledge, but there's some things I'm lacking. One would be practical skill. Before you walked in there with your doctor, your doctor not only sat in a classroom, but also practiced medicine, right? So if you go to a heart surgeon, the last thing you want to hear as you're lying in the operating room, about to go under the anesthesia, as he grabs the scalpel, the last thing you want to hear as he starts to cut you open is, this will be fun. I've never tried this before, right? You want him not only to know where the heart is, to theoretically understand how to do the surgery, you want him to have practiced it, to develop the skill that it takes. And then there's integrity, moral character. You don't want your doctor to tell you you're sick when you're really well just so that he can make more money off of you. That would be a lack of integrity. He might have skill, he might have knowledge, but he could lack character. Biblically, all three come together. 
Let me put it in a different context for you. A few years ago, my son, who is now 13, he was maybe 9 or 10, we were driving around town one day, and he looks at me and he goes, Dad, I know how to drive. Right? I said, oh, wow, do you? And he's like, yep, I could do it. I know how to drive. Well, what does he mean? Uh, well, he has seen me uh, steer the steering wheel, put the car in gear. He knows where the pedals are because he's watched. He knows in his mind. So I said, okay. So we put him out on Highway 6 and let him drive. No, we did not. Because what does he lack? Well, he lacks skill. He lacks training. He lacks the wisdom to know what to do if a car suddenly stops in front of you or pulls out in front of you or if the traffic patterns are different from what you anticipate, right? So he, he doesn't have skill, right? So when we drive, we need knowledge. You do sit in a classroom or you, you learn online. You also practice a lot of hours, and then there is moral character, right? Do you drive the speed limit? When there's a stop sign and nobody's around, do you stop fully, or do you do, you do that California stop? Only you know in your heart, right? But there's knowledge, and then there's skill, and then there's character. As parents, our goal is to shape our kids in all three, to know the word of God, to read it, to study it, to know what God says about life, to apply it in everyday life, and to do so in a way that honors God. That is wisdom. So wisdom looks like a, a, a young adult who says, I want to every day know God's word deeper. I want to apply it to the way that I use my body, the way that I spend my money, the way that I treat other people, the way that I speak, I want to apply the word of God because what I want to do is live with character and integrity because I am made to honor God. Why is it we're pursuing wisdom for our kids? Because that's what we're made for. You and I are made by a creator who designed us with a reason. And that reason is so that we can glorify, honor him. So that through our lives, people can look at our lives and say, that person was created and is directed by a great God, right? So we're made for this purpose, to honor the Lord. This is why as you read Proverbs, and again, you see all of this advice, uh, we are not made for greed or or out-of-control anger or sexual immorality or, or whatever it may be, dishonesty, right? We're not made for sin. We are made to honor God. That's what we're designed for. And so as dads, as parents, our goal is to say, son, daughter, you're not made for sin and foolishness and wickedness. You are made for righteousness and the glory of God and to honor him. And to use your life, your body, your money, your time, your energy in a way that dishonors God is to use your life in a way that you weren't made for and that is not going to result in the life God has called you to. Think about it this way. Some of you might get a Lowe's gift card for Father's Day or some tools for Father's Day, right? And maybe you like tools like I do. You like either fixing things or building things, right? But you know that there are certain tools for certain purposes. Sometimes we misuse tools. I read not long ago that the most misused tool uh, that people misuse the most often is actually just a screwdriver. And they said the reason is uh, because people often use screwdrivers not, you know, to put in or take out a screw. They use them, for example, as a cheap hammer, Ever done that? Ever flipped it around and tried to pound in something with the handle of the screwdriver? I have done that. Why? Because sometimes you're just too lazy to walk all the way back to the toolbox 
and get an actual hammer. Or people use it as a pry bar. Ever snapped a screwdriver in half trying to use it as a pry bar? I have done that as well. That's not what it's made for. You know, but if a screwdriver is the most misused tool, you know the most dangerously misused tool, the one that lands people in the ER the most often? A stepladder. And the reason is this, because you know, you're, you got a project, you got a light bulb to change, you got something you need to fix on, uh, up high, so you get that stepladder and you think, I can get by with the shorter stepladder, and so you climb up on it and you're on that top actual step and you go, I can't quite reach what I need. And you look down and you see on the top, the very top, it says, not a step. And you say, but it could be a step that would save me many steps back to get the other ladder. Right? So you stand on that top step and you reach up every single week in the United States. Many people go to the ER making this decision because they topple over with not enough points of contact on the ladder. They fall. See, the deal is the warning isn't there just to mess up your project, just to cost you more work. The warning is actually there because the ladder is made for a particular purpose, and that top step is not made to stand on and use in that way. The warning isn't there to make you sad. It's there to save your neck. That's what Solomon says about wisdom, about honoring God. Why is wisdom the goal? Because you're not made for foolishness, for sin, for unrighteousness. And the warnings aren't there. He says, son, the warnings aren't there to make you sad, to ruin your fun. The warnings are there to save your life and to make your life what God wants it to be, what God made you for, to live according to your design. So wisdom is knowledge, skill, and character. A wise father's goal is to say, son I want to, or daughter, I want to shepherd you from being an immature child to a wise adult. So where does that wisdom come from? Remember we said, isn't there more to life than just wisdom? Don't we want to walk with God? Well, here's the, the, great, the great thing about wisdom as Solomon defines it. He says wisdom is defined. Wisdom begins here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If, again, you're looking at a target, the bullseye is, I want to know God, I want to honor God, I want to walk with God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, again, Solomon gives all kinds of advice to his son in this book about all kinds of things. But he doesn't begin with how you spend your money or how you give your money or, or how you avoid sexual immorality or how you dial down the anger or how you deal with pride or how you make friends. He doesn't begin there. He says the beginning of wisdom is to know and honor God because you are made to know and honor God. So he says what I want you to do is chase knowing God. And so he would say, dads, your primary goal as you shepherd your kids toward wisdom, where you begin is not can I help them find the right career? Can I get them into a good college? Can I help them marry the right person? Can I help them make good choices with their money? Those are important, but those are peripheral to what ought to be right in the center. Is the first and foremost say that our goal as parents is to help them know the one who made them and who wants to walk with them. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as we get to the New Testament, we begin to understand that the wisdom of God is most perfectly expressed in the person of Jesus Christ, 
who is God in the flesh. One of the beautiful things about the New Testament is often there are these light references to the wisdom of God from the book of Proverbs, except now Jesus is called the wisdom of God. If you want to know God's wisdom, you have to know Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. If you know Jesus Christ, you know the wisdom of God. Because what Jesus did is he lived a perfectly wise life, perfectly in harmony with God, perfectly righteous before other people. And then he died for our sin. He died for our failure to honor God, for our rebellion against God, for our foolishness with respect to God. And then he rose from the dead. And now, not only do we have eternal life, but if you know Jesus and walk with Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, guides us in wisdom so we can guide our children. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. In him, that is in Jesus Christ, are hidden all, all the treasures of wisdom and righteousness. All the treasures of wisdom and righteousness are found in in Jesus Christ. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And so dads, if your kids were to ask you, what is the highest priority for me as your dad, as I raise you, would they say, you want me to know Jesus Christ because in him are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want me to know him first and then build my life through the power of the Spirit around the wisdom of God? Are you first and foremost before any other goal? Being good at a sport, being great in school, getting into the right college, building a a great family, before any other goal are you saying, I want you to know your Savior. I want you to know the one who made you for his purposes. Of course, that means you have to know him too. You have to know your Savior. And so if you're here this morning and you don't yet know God through Jesus Christ, the scripture would say that the best starting point to be a father who honors the Lord, who trains your kid in godly wisdom, the starting point is to know Jesus, to recognize that in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And because he died for your sins, for my sins, he rose from the dead to provide eternal life. If I know him, if I walk with him, I have access to the infinite wisdom of God that I can now pass on to my kids. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's where wisdom begins. If you do know him, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, do you walk with him? Do you build your life around the wisdom of God? Or do you really just build it around your own ideas of what you think your kids need. And and we're going to talk in a minute, but uh, the greatest thing that you as a father or as a mother, honestly, can do for your kids is model a life of walking with God. That's not only biblical, that's actually borne out statistically. That your kids will look at your model before they will listen to what comes out of your mouth. And so if you want kids who walk with Jesus, the question is, do you walk with Jesus? Do you pray? Do you read his word? 
Do they see you in prayer? Do they see you in his word? Do you talk about Jesus around the table as you're going to and from school or practice or wherever it is? Do you model a life that says, I want to put Jesus at the center and I want you to put Jesus at the center because that's where wisdom comes from. That's our goal, to help immature children become wise adults. And so the question then for us to ask is this, how do we lead our children toward wisdom? How do we do this? I want to offer in the next few minutes just a few practical ways. I want to give us five very practical ways to lead our children toward the wisdom of God. First one is simply this, pray. Pray for them to know God. Pray with them to know God. Pray for them when you wake up in the morning. Pray for them when you go to bed at night. Pray for them throughout the day. Pray for them at all times that they would come to know their Savior and walk with Him. We just had a sermon series on prayer earlier this spring, and so hopefully everybody in the room says, I believe in the power of prayer for my kids, for my family, for my life. I believe God hears. I believe God listens. So pray for your kids and pray with your kids as they face challenging dynamics in their lives, as they try to learn, how do, I, how do I navigate school well? How do I navigate this sticky friend situation? How do I navigate living in a world that encourages me to be immoral and to walk away from God? How do I do that? Are you praying with them as you're praying for them? Are you praying all the time? And, and I, wanna, I wanna just be very direct about this this morning. All right, I'm not here to pound dads on the head because I think most of us in this room are doing the best that we can. But I do want to say this. In many, many families, moms typically set the spiritual pace. They are the ones praying. They are the ones up early in the morning, up late at night, praying for and with their kids. And my question is, dads, are you praying for your kids? Are you praying with your kids? If we want to walk with Jesus and understand his wisdom and apply it to the lives of our kids well, we have to pray for ourselves as well, to know him and to walk with him. So pray. Secondly, and I mentioned this briefly a moment ago, model what it looks like to walk with God. Several years ago, I ran across some statistics that floored me. This was from the National Survey of Youth and religion, and I've shared these before, but I, but I want to share them with you again. They were trying to get to the heart of what separates young adults who uh, continue to walk with God as young adults from those who don't. So those who maybe grew up at least in some kind of a Christian home, I think we know uh, some walk with God as grown-ups and some do not. Some stop praying, stop reading their Bible, stop going to church. Others continue to dig deeper into their relationship with God. And so the researchers said, what separates these two groups? Here's what they found. I want to share some of these statistics. But what they found fundamentally was that, that what distinguished those two groups more than anything else was not what their parents told them to do, but what their parents did in their own walks with the Lord. And so what they found, listen to this, just 1% of teens ages 15 to 17 raised by parents who attached little importance to religion, were highly religious in their mid to late 20s. So think about that. 
parents who attached little importance to religion, who maybe did not read the scripture, did not pray, did not walk with God, were not connected to a local church, 99% of those kids simply followed suit. They did not attach importance to their faith when they grew up. That's almost determinative. If you do not honor God in your home with your life and model it, it's almost determinative that your kids won't either. But now listen to this. In contrast, 82% of children raised by parents who talked about faith at home attached great importance to their beliefs and were active in their congregations, were themselves religiously active as young adults, according to this data. 82%. So it's not everybody, right? So I realize there are some of you in this room that you have grown children who are not walking with God, and you prayed for them, and you modeled walking with the Lord, and they chose a different path. That's almost 20% of kids raised in Christian homes. So it may not be that you did something specifically wrong that somebody else didn't do wrong. But generally speaking, and this is where the Proverbs takes us, our children will follow suit, not from our mouth, but from our model. They will generally speaking say, do mom and dad only say prayer matters or do they pray? Do mom and dad only say generosity matters or do they give? Do mom and dad only talk about how we should talk about Jesus with those who don't know him? Or do they talk about Jesus? Do they only say church is important or do we show up? You see that? Our model matters more than what we say. And so the greatest thing we can do as parents, as dads, to shepherd our children toward wisdom is to be men and women of wisdom who walk with God. They need to see us pursuing it. So we pray. We model. Thirdly, we coach. We coach. What does a coach do? A good, a good dad is like a good coach. So if you played sports growing up, I played baseball for a while. I played tennis for a while. What does a good coach do? Well, when I uh, was playing tennis, I had a coach who would do a few things. So the first thing that they typically did is they would instruct, right? So they would teach you the rules of the game. You would listen and learn the rules of the game. Uh, And then the second thing they might do is stand up and show you what it looks like to play. That's the modeling, right? So there's the instruction, there's the modeling, and then what they would do is they would say, okay, I want you to try it. I want you to try serving. I want you to try hitting the ball. I want you to get out on the court, and they would stand there, and they would give you critique, right? Hold the racket a little bit differently. Shift your feet a little bit differently. You need to stand in a little different spot on the court. They would give you critique while you practice. And then eventually they'd cut you loose to play without them being right there, except maybe when you really needed them. So think about that progression as a parent. We instruct, we teach from the time they're small, we model what it looks like to read the Bible, to walk with the Lord, and then we help them do it. Maybe when it comes to the issue of money, for example, we say, okay, if money is a tool given to us by God to honor the Lord, you say, okay, I want to talk to them about that about avoiding greed, about avoiding debt, about avoiding overspending, whatever it may be. I want to talk to them about that. And then maybe I I model it as they grow. So I try to live with my money in a way that honors the Lord. And maybe I talk about that with them the older they get. Maybe we talk about how we build a budget, how we think about debt, how we think about spending, how we think about generosity. And then I maybe I give them a little bit of money. And I say, I want to help you understand how to give some, how to save some, how to spend this money, how to think about your money while I critique, while while there's just a little bit of money available. And then eventually you cut them loose as they grow. 
and become young adults to do it on their own, right? So you're a coach stepping in at appropriate moments. A coach, by the way, is direct, but a good coach is also hopefully kind, right? We don't, we don't discourage, we don't squish, we don't exasperate, as Ephesians 6 tells us, but we step in and coach, right? So we pray, we model, we coach. Fourthly, we, we do discipline. And this is the beauty of, of being a good coach, is that, that, that discipline is simply saying, I want to operate uh, sort of like the bumpers on a bowling alley. If you've ever been to a bowling alley, maybe some of you are grown up and you still use those bumpers. I don't know. But uh, how do those bumpers function? Well, when you're learning to play the game, it keeps the ball from going into the gutter. It just sort of stands to the left and to the right. So if the ball goes too far, it corrects it back toward the center. This is the function of discipline. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. That's serious. Right, but why? What's the idea? Well, if you do not step in as your kids, and they will, do foolish things, childish things, and say, no, that's not the right direction. And maybe you issue consequences for moving the wrong direction. So they begin to pursue laziness. They say, I would rather play Fortnite than do any chores. So you shut off the internet. And you say, work comes before play. That's discipline. Right? They say something unkind to a sibling. And you say, now you must write a note with three kind things to your sibling. Right? That's discipline. A consequence that matches the offense and the reason that we discipline is to help them understand, even in a small way, that a life of foolishness has consequences. And as we get older, those consequences only grow. And so before you face massive consequences for foolishness, I need to help you understand what it's like to experience some of the consequences of foolishness, of disobedience, and rebellion against God. And so we do step in, again, to discipline, not in a harsh unkind, discouraging way, but again, like the bumpers on that bowling alley to draw them back, to bring them back to the Lord. Discipline your kids while there is hope. So we pray, we model, we coach, we discipline. Lastly, persevere. Persevere. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If there's one thing I could say to dads and parents in general, it is do not give up. Keep at it. Keep going. Ben said it earlier. Being a dad is hard, right? It requires often early mornings and late nights. There's exhaustion. There's conflict. There's the stress sometimes of how will I provide? What choices are they making? It's difficult and it's challenging. And frankly, it will bring out your own weaknesses and insecurities like almost nothing else will. And so my, my exhortation is do not give up. Let's be honest, men and women. Some of you in this room had fathers who gave up, who threw in the towel who walked away. And here's the reminder. First, we are called to reflect a heavenly father who never walks away, never gives up, never throws in the towel. And I, I don't care if you have six generations 
of dads who walked away and threw in the towel. You can begin a new family story by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not give up. And let me also say this. You may say, well, my kids are grown and they're not walking with the Lord and hope is lost. If they're breathing, hope is not lost. You pray, you persevere, you don't give up. Don't give up. Do not grow weary in doing good because this is a difficult task, but it is an eternally significant task say, son or daughter, I want you to one day go out into the world as a young adult, independent of me, but deeply dependent upon God, to represent him in the world, to follow the way of wisdom so that others can see Jesus in you and be drawn to the one who made us and who loves us and who has given us life and wants us to know him. Do not Grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Joy is coming, reward is coming, if not now, then in eternity. At the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not, do not, do not give up. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. For the opportunity to know you, we thank you that you are a perfect Father, infinitely holy, infinitely righteous, perfectly good, unbelievably gracious, loving, kind, and wise. Father, we are made in your image, but we are not like you because we're fallen into sin. Lord, as as parents, those of us who are parents, who are dads, and moms in this room, we struggle and we stumble and we, we don't feel often that we know what we're doing. And so we need your wisdom. We need your strength. And Lord, we need your encouragement to persevere. Let us stand firm in the truth. I pray, Father, for each father in this room to feel encouraged and strengthened this week by your word. I pray for each child represented in this room to grow to be godly, God-honoring, wise, to grow to know Jesus and walk with Jesus. Help us to do that well. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.